Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. Here again, as you can tell from the logo on your screen, with an update on Xbox Times Activision, or at least what we think will be Xbox Times Activision when this is all over. Certainly, that transaction has been called into question and what might be the biggest story in the history of the video gaming industry, at least for its prospective future, and that is, of course, the Federal Trade Commission on December 8th, late last week of this year, decided to move forward to block Microsoft's imminent purchase of Activision. Now, will they succeed? That's just one of the things we'll be talking about for the next 25 or 50 videos. But what I wanted to talk about today was clearing up a misconception that I think some people have and that we spoke about a little bit late last week. Before we do, though, I do want to mention that this channel, Virtual Legality, and the Hoaglaw YouTube channel in general is supported by viewers and listeners like you. We've got a Utreon platform set up for that purpose. We've got Patreon. You can also become a YouTube member. We can't do it without viewers and listeners like you. And I want to give special thanks in this episode to Falcus Vipus, who through Utreon and Patreon has supported the channel to sponsor a specific video this month. And again, special thanks to Falcus for that. Now, as I mentioned, late last week, we had a video where we went through line by line the complaint filed by the United States Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, against Microsoft. Importantly, one of the main contentions that the FTC entered into that you could tell in the press release, that you could tell in the early recitals in this complaint document was effectively that Microsoft was not to be trusted. And the avenue by which they tried to establish that was that the Federal Trade Commission had told the European Union certain things about its acquisition of ZeniMax for about $8 billion, and that Microsoft had almost immediately reneged on those promises that they had made to the European Commission. And so the FTC felt warranted in essentially discounting everything Microsoft was telling it about what it planned to do with the Activision assets and Call of Duty. Now, towards the end of this video that you can see the thumbnail for on your screen, a bit of news came out about the European Commission the agency in charge of reviewing mergers in the European Union, effectively disavowing that kind of notion that the Federal Trade Commission had put forth. Uh, An Xbox fan and reporter here, Cabriel, on Twitter, characterized it as such, in an unexpected turn of events, the EU dissents with the FTC's main and misleading argument to block the merger, with the EU saying, Microsoft didn't make any commitments to EU regulators not to release Xbox-exclusive content, following its takeover of ZeniMax Media. Cobriel will then go on to say, some people are asking me what this actually means. I'll try to be as clear as I can. It means the FTC's main published argument as to why they are suing Microsoft over this merger is a factual lie. What this means for the actual case remains to be seen. Now, this was picked up in various places. A lot of people started calling the FTC liars on this. As a lawyer that works with regulatory agencies quite a bit, the one thing I would always caution people from doing is calling one of them a straight-up liar. Generally speaking, even if they are going to have some omissions, perhaps some misstatements, some slant in their arguments, and certainly I think the FTC presents a very weak legal document, as we talked about last week, they generally aren't going to go so far as to be black and white lying on something that they put forth in a legal document like this adjudicative complaint. Here, I honestly don't think it's any different. Now, I want to bring up the full statement here from WCCF Tech that talks about what the EU said. Most importantly, it is characterized by a financial analyst firm, MLEX, as follows. Microsoft didn't mislead EU over ZeniMax deal, Watchdog says in response to U.S. concerns. Microsoft didn't make any commitments to EU regulators not to release Xbox-exclusive content. Following its takeover of ZeniMax Media, the European Commission has said, 
the commission cleared the Microsoft ZeniMax transaction unconditionally as it concluded that the transaction would not raise competition concerns. Now, that sounds a lot like what we were just talking about, but I want to talk to you about how it's not quite as it seems. Now, I put up a Twitter thread. If you're more interested in following me on social media, you can check that out at Hoaglaw, where I talk about at least a portion of what I'm going to talk about in this video. In short, as I put at the bottom of this opening post, I think that the notion that the FTC lied about this is a bit misleading. Now, why do I think that? Let's go take a look at the complaint document itself. So here's paragraph 12. The FTC would actually repeat this in a couple places in the complaint, but we don't need to do that for repetition's sake. So here's where the FTC says in that complaint that they don't have to trust Microsoft. Say Microsoft's past conduct provides a preview of the combined firms, that's Microsoft and Activision together, likely plans if it consummates the proposed acquisition despite any assurances the company may offer regarding its plans. Any assurances. So whatever Microsoft has to say vis-a-vis -vis its notification form, what it's told the FTC, the deals it might have entered into with Nintendo for availability, the deals it might be offering to Sony, what Steam and Gabe Newell said about Microsoft, we don't have to listen to any of it because the truth was made clear when they purchased Cinemax. What is that truth? In March 2021, Microsoft acquired Cinemax Media, the parent company of the well-known game developer and publisher Bethesda. Microsoft assured the European Commission during its antitrust review of the ZeniMax purchase that Microsoft would not have the incentive to withhold ZeniMax titles from rival consoles. That's the main argument the FTC makes here. So let's read it again. Microsoft assured, that's an important verb, the European Commission during its antitrust review of the ZeniMax purchase that Microsoft would not have the incentive to withhold ZeniMax titles from rival consoles. That's what the FTC reads. And like any game of telephone, it's going to be important to see, to check out what it is that Microsoft actually said, where this could come from, and why the European Commission has apparently told financial analysts that they didn't ask for any concessions and Microsoft didn't breach anything. Shortly after the EC cleared the transaction, Microsoft made public its decision to make several of the newly acquired ZeniMax titles, including Starfield, Redfall, and Elder Scrolls VI, Microsoft exclusives. So the FTC in their complaint, is premising their legal argument, which in order to talk about this fulsomely, I want to talk about Clobriel saying it's the main argument they made. It is not. It's kind of the premise. It's the geographic environment under which they bring their claims that they are going to monopolize this market. Basically, it says, we don't have to trust you. You're promising us that you won't monopolize. We're going to analyze it as if you never said that because we don't count any of your statements. But it's not one of their main legal arguments. It doesn't really matter for the Activision deal that... They told the EC something that the FTC now finds to have been false. Instead, what we're looking at is a situation where the FTC is using this language to make its case stronger by suggesting that Microsoft is an unworthy actor. But Microsoft, as we pointed out in both the past videos that on Friday of last week and the video where we were talking about the lawsuit as it got started, put together a fact sheet that is being used on Microsoft's side to say, no, we didn't. There's no problems here, right? They maintained their position, they say. In the merger notice to the European Commission, they stated future decisions on whether to distribute ZeniMax games for other consoles will be made on a case-by-case -case basis, taking into account player demand and sentiment. Importantly, this is from the notice document. So we can talk about procedure a little bit. We probably will as part of this video. But the first thing you do when you're going to get reviewed by regulatory bodies, you send in some documents. You say, we're buying ZeniMax. This is why you fill out some stuff that's going to be required by statute, by the questionnaires, by the forms that these various regulatory bodies are going to make you fill out. And here is the form CO in which Microsoft says, 
here's how we're thinking about Zenimax. We're going to make a determination on a case-by-case basis. We're also going to finish out this concept by saying, we anticipate that existing games and future multi-platform games will be available for purchase from relevant digital storefronts of all major consoles and PCs. Now, it's easy enough to skip over this multi-platform games as defining this category of games tautologically. Multi-platform games will be available multi-platform is not the grandest commitment or pronouncement that Microsoft could have given, but they did, in fact, give it here. Microsoft announced that two upcoming titles, Starfield and Redfall, will only be released on Xbox and PC in line with statements it made upon the closing of the ZeniMax transaction. Specifically, when the deal closed in March, Xbox noted that with the addition of the Bethesda creative teams, gamers should know that Xbox consoles, PC, and Game Pass will be the best place to experience new Bethesda games, including some new titles in the future that will be exclusive to Xbox and PC players. Now, they're not committing to what that will be at that moment in time, but Microsoft is giving itself some logical rhetorical cover by saying, look, we told them in January, and also when we actually closed the deal, right when we closed it, we said some of the new titles will be exclusive to Xbox and PC players. So you ask yourself, what is the Federal Trade Commission talking about vis-a-vis Microsoft lying to the European Commission? Well, it does appear that what the Federal Trade Commission is talking about exists in the European Commission's actual final decision allowing the ZeniMax transaction to go forward. So we've pulled up a big, long document that the European Commission put out there in which they analyze what's likely to happen to the marketplace here. And this never went as far as the Activision analysis. This appears to have happened after the phase one review where they do some talking to people. And that might actually be worth looking at. So if you look at what a phase one investigation in the European Union is framed as, you get that notice period. After notification, the commission has 25 working days or about five weeks to analyze the deal during their investigation. More than 90% of all cases get resolved here, generally without remedies. We say, yep, that's a deal, that's fine. A phase one review may involve the following. Requests for information from the merging companies or third parties, questionnaires to competitors or customers seeking their views on the merger, as well as other contacts with market participants aimed at clarifying the conditions for competition in a given market or the role of the merged companies in that market. So now we have a bit of a time consideration here, right? I've told you that Microsoft put forth in their notification document that we're going to be looking at things on a case-by-case basis. But when we look at this document, that is the European Commission actually making the determination that this deal is going to be fine, it's being issued a couple months later in March after a process through which they talked to Microsoft, they talked to ZeniMax, they talked to Sony and potentially other publishers in the video game industry to kind of figure out what the market is and to determine whether they were going to seek a phase two investigation or they were going to allow the deal to go through. So this is after this point in time, Microsoft would have had engagements with the European Union after they filed this document. That's important because we're going to get a summary of what Microsoft told the European Union that isn't necessarily going to obviously match what is in that fact sheet from the notice period that happens two months before this document that we're looking at on our screen is issued. Now, when they are evaluating, and we've skipped ahead to paragraph 95 here, when they're evaluating whether Microsoft will potentially, quote unquote, foreclose the games that ZeniMax makes from their rival console distributors, the stores on those consoles, for our purposes, Sony, they adjudge two separate things. One, the ability to foreclose a market, and two, the incentive. Importantly, when we get to incentive, which is what we're going to be talking about vis-a-vis the FTC and the lies and everything else that everyone was putting into headlines, the European Commission is going to find that Microsoft doesn't have the ability to foreclose the market. Now, you might say, Rick, that doesn't make any sense. Microsoft hits a button and boom, ZeniMax games, whether they're Fallout or Redfall or Elder Scrolls 6, they are foreclosed. 
Well, there's where things get a little bit more complicated than some people are reporting. So the European Union uses the concept of foreclosure in two separate ways. That'll pop out as we look at these paragraphs. But first and foremost, let's see what they have to say about ability. Now, the way the European Union organizes this document, first they ask the notifying party. That's Microsoft to you and me. Then they say what the commission believes. That's the regulator. And then they come to a final conclusion. So vis-a-vis, do you have the ability to foreclose? Microsoft answers as follows. The notifying party, Microsoft, submits that it is implausible that ZeniMax's content would enable Microsoft to foreclose rival console storefronts or other rival console distribution channels as ZeniMax content and market share are not significant enough. Now, two things should jump off the page right there. One, that they're talking about foreclosing storefronts, not foreclosing games. That's going to come back around. And then two, as far as it represents what might happen in Activision land, the reason that they state ZeniMax isn't a problem is that it's not big enough. It's not important enough. It's not essential enough. That means that if the European Union wanted to fight against the Activision deal, they could distinguish these two opinions without being hypocrites by saying Activision is just that more important than ZeniMax. More specifically, Call of Duty is. Next, Microsoft says ZeniMax and Microsoft have a very modest combined market share, both upstream on publication and downstream on distribution. Rival consoles and console storefronts such as Sony and Nintendo have access to a very large array of popular games argues Microsoft. Sony and Nintendo consoles are differentiated and have stronger market positions than us. Sony and Nintendo have surpassed Microsoft in the console generation. And the ZeniMax games, even if exclusively available for the Xbox, could not weaken rival consoles sufficiently to result in foreclosure. Wait, stop. Did you catch that in that sentence? Because it doesn't make any sense if you are treating foreclosure as the concept of making games exclusive, right? Those are two separate categories in that sentence. Let me read it again. The notifying party, Microsoft, concludes that ZeniMax games, even if exclusively available for the Xbox, we have made them exclusive, could not weaken rival consoles sufficiently to result in foreclosure. Therein lies the rub. The European Union, and not often, not always in every paragraph here, so it's a little bit difficult to discern, is treating the concept of foreclosure and the ability to foreclose as being successful in harming the opposite consoles and storefronts, not just preventing the games from going over to those consoles and storefronts. It's effectively the second layer. So they evaluate these things and say, hey, even if we did an exclusivity, we aren't actually foreclosing them. And you can see this in some law firms as they talk about the European Union. I pulled up a website here for us. Input foreclosure, which is what we're talking about. And this is where video games get a little bit dicey always, because when we talk about inputs into a manufacturing process, it's obvious enough. It's the ingredients, it's the iron, it's whatever else that you might otherwise be able to take control of. So a vertical monopoly that seizes a line of supply could be a problematic for someone else even being able to make the thing that they're making. Here we've got a completely separate concept of media items that are in and of themselves all different from each other. And the notion of input law doesn't fit so terribly well. But suffice it to say, input foreclosure arises where the new entity would be likely to restrict access to the products or services that it would have otherwise supplied if the merger had not taken place. All right, so there's an incentive. There's a possibility that Microsoft times Activision, or here Microsoft times ZeniMax, would not give ZeniMax games out. But that's not specifically what the European Union is worried about. Instead, they're worried about this second thing, the foreclosure effect 
which may arise only if input is significant for the product concerned on the downstream market, that's the selling of video games, and if the vertically integrated entity, that would be Microsoft and Activision, has a substantial market power on the upstream market, that's production or consoles or something along those lines, incentive to foreclose depends on the level of profitability of such strategy. The parties to a vertical merger, which is what we're talking about with respect to Microsoft and Activision, will have an incentive to implement an input market foreclosure strategy where the transaction allows them to limit their competitors' capacity expansion on the downstream market, so you'll be able to crush Sony, to delay the completion of such projects or to prevent entry of potential competitors on the market. Now, this last one is part of that kind of nascent market argument that you've seen from various regulators, but the others don't make a ton of sense. Right? You can't just take Call of Duty and then suddenly PlayStation can't be a PlayStation anymore. It just doesn't have Call of Duty. The, the alternative would be to think of something like electricity, right? If you were to seize all electricity, well, then PlayStations can't work or something along those lines. That's a true input or, or at least a true related good to that product. Here, it's not quite the same. It's not a perfect fit. But this kind of definition does allow us to understand when they say, even if we make games exclusively available, we won't foreclose and have that sentence make sense, but it also means that the FTC may not even understand what they're looking at here vis-a-vis -vis the European Commission. So I said, as this thumbnail, as the title to this video, the FTC isn't lying. We're gonna get to that in a second, but they probably aren't also playing straight with what's occurring with the European Commission here. Now, the commission winds up agreeing with Microsoft. Microsoft says we're not likely to be able to foreclose these companies. We're not liable to be able to kill competition in these markets for consoles and the like, well, because ZeniMax games aren't that important and it won't result in foreclosure. Microsoft would not have the ability to successfully engage in an input foreclosure strategy, even if we hit the button. The commission agrees. While Microsoft could have the technical ability to implement an exclusivity strategy, obviously, if you own the asset, you can just hit the button, not put it on PlayStation or PlayStation Plus. The commission considers that the combined entity will not have the ability to engage in a successful input foreclosure strategy. Yes, they can go exclusive, but that's not actually going to kill the competition in this market. We will see them double up on that notion later in this document. Why does the commission believe that? Well, exclusive video games could therefore encourage the purchase of the relevant console. So we know that exclusives sell consoles. Microsoft would not have the ability to foreclose rival console distributors by refusing to make Zenimax games available on rival consoles or degrading the terms because Elder Scrolls and Fallout, which do enjoy recognition by players, aren't big enough to allow Microsoft to cripple the market. First, the market shares suggest they're small. The upstream publishing market is highly competitive. Lots of people are making video games. Exclusivity strategies are not uncommon and have already been adopted by rival consoles with video games that performed better than ZeniMax titles. And the commission therefore concludes the combined entity would not have the ability to foreclose rival console video game distributors by engaging in a total or partial input foreclosure strategy. They can try a strategy, but it's not likely to actually affect the rival consoles. And that is a distinction that's important for interpreting these things. Now, if you also go back to these earlier paragraphs and say, Rick, doesn't that work for Activision? Some of it does, especially this paragraph that says, hey, look, this is how the industry works. Exclusivity, exclusivity, exclusivity. So that's the ability. And that's important because you need both of these. Just like a murder needs a motivation and an opportunity here in order to foreclose, you need the ability to foreclose and then the incentive to foreclose. One or the other isn't going to be good enough. If you don't care to do it, it doesn't matter if you can. If, and if you can't do it, it doesn't matter if you want to. Next, we get to the second area here, incentive to engage in input foreclosure. And this is where this fight comes. This is where people say the FTC lied. Remember, the FTC goes out there and says, well, 
Microsoft assured the European Commission that Microsoft would not have the incentive to withhold ZeniMax titles, and then they did it anyway. But what does this actually say? First, the notifying parties here. This is what Microsoft told the European Commission as summarized by the European Commission. First, Microsoft has strong incentives to continue making ZeniMax games available for rival consoles. That is undoubtedly true, right? The incentive here, if we think about it as ZeniMax or we think about it as Call of Duty and Activision, is that the incentive is you make a ton of money if you put Call of Duty on the PlayStation. That's how Activision has survived, after all, is that they make these products available on all the platforms they can, and they make the money. They take their 70%. The console maker takes their 30%. And with that 70%, they make money, and they buy Bobby Kotick yachts and anything else that Activision has wound up doing in the past three decades. So Microsoft is absolutely correct that there's a strong incentive to put them on rival consoles. But it's not the only incentive, right? The notifying party explains that the profitability of a strategy to make ZeniMax games exclusive to the Xbox console would depend on a trade-off between attracting new players and the lost income from not selling them on the other console. The notifying party forecasts that a significant share of ZeniMax game sales will occur on rival consoles. Based on such a trade-off, the notifying party submits that a hypothetical console exclusivity strategy would be profitable only if it led to an increase in the number of Xbox users of some million over the next five years, corresponding to an increase in Xbox shipments of some million above the four class level. Now, a lot of people on social media have looked at my Twitter thread and otherwise my commentary on this where I have said that the FTC isn't lying and said, well, look, Microsoft has explained in this paragraph exactly what the incentives would be. The answer to that is they have not. They've explained the mechanism by which they would evaluate their incentives, right? That's only the starting point. You evaluate the mechanism and then in the paragraphs to follow, you establish whether or not you think that mechanism would be met. Now, I do think Microsoft is playing a little fast and loose here in 2021 with these notions at the bottom of this paragraph. Sure, it makes all the sense in the world that it's basically weighing what you could gain from new Xbox ecosystem money against what you'd be losing from Sony ecosystem money or whatever other ecosystem you would choose to put your products on. But based on such a trade-off, Microsoft believes it would need to sell this many Xboxes is not a complete answer. Right. And if we're very familiar with the video game market, we know that Xbox has been moving into a recurring revenue strategy and trying to get people into the Xbox Game Pass ecosystem. You might say, Rick, well, Xbox users doesn't mean Xbox console users. But when you start uh, concluding that you need Xbox shipments to actually make your number, it starts to sound like they're telling the European Commission only about console sales. And that's not a complete picture. But again, these are summaries. So we don't know precisely how to to track this. Also worth noting in the footnotes is that this information comes from annexes to that form CO, that notice form. So the European Commission is summarizing what Microsoft is telling them directly in the very form that they have said they included the paragraphs on case by case. That's worthy to note as well. But this doesn't say anything about incentives except how we figure out whether or not we have them. Paragraph 109 In the notifying party's view, this is Microsoft's view, it is implausible that Microsoft would achieve such results. Here's the way we calculate incentives. And then Microsoft says, we don't think we could ever get those results from a foreclosure of ZeniMax games, which raises the second question here, which is when you say ZeniMax games, is Microsoft making a commitment about all ZeniMax games or is it making a commitment about some ZeniMax games? Certainly with the paragraph they put forth in their notification, you would think it would be obviously some, but this is the nature of a game of telephone. These are all summaries, right? And this appears to be what the Federal Trade Commission based its notion that Microsoft is untrustworthy upon. Microsoft also adds, hey, 
A high switching rate by players, meaning my, I'm going to sell my PlayStation and buy my Xbox, is implausible due to the considerable switching cost between consoles. So if we're going to make money selling consoles, this isn't the greatest way to do it. Again, note that they're ignoring the Game Pass kind of concept. Thirdly, the notifying party considers that the player switching rates are above are actually conservative because the multi-homing across consoles may further reduce the incentives for a foreclosure strategy. Now, what do they mean by multi-homing? Well, it's people like you and me, potentially, that have multiple consoles. Players loyal to Nintendo or Sony consoles with a strong desire to play ZeniMax games can respond to a console exclusivity strategy by buying an Xbox, sure, but they can also keep most of their gaming activity and expenditures on their preferred console. It's just a Elder Scrolls 6 box, and Xbox really isn't making that much money. So therefore, based on all the stuff we've summarized above, including, unfortunately, in brackets, Microsoft's stated strategy regarding ZeniMax games. We don't get to see that, but whatever the European Commission is basing it on says, therefore, according to Microsoft, Microsoft would not have the incentive to cease or limit making ZeniMax games available for purchase on rival consoles. And this is where you get into the Federal Trade Commission's defense, right? The Federal Trade Commission said they assured that they had no incentive, and then they changed this up. So the Federal Trade Commission is looking at this document and says, paragraph 114 says Microsoft would not have the incentive to cease or limit making ZeniMax games available for purchase on rival consoles. And then you get into that game of telephone. What do we mean by that? So the FTC has based the, the fact that Microsoft are liars. They can't be trusted. We can ignore everything that they say about their future plans because of this. And yet Microsoft does not appear to have pledged that every game everywhere will be available on every console. And in fact, Microsoft has a fairly good defense that the day they close this with the European Commission having just approved it three days before, they say we're going to put some games on our consoles exclusively. And the European Commission didn't care. Right By the time the European Commission is saying Microsoft didn't make any commitments, the European Commission is right. But note that these statements are somewhat different. Federal Trade Commission says you assured them and then you sold exclusively. That appears to have happened insofar as this paragraph is a valid summary of what Microsoft has done. But the European Commission never asked for any kind of concessions, never asked for a contractual commitment. So when the European Union says they didn't violate any commitments, we never asked for anything, right? Commission cleared it unconditionally. Well, those are two statements that can be true simultaneously. Why? Well, for one, we just went over the section where the European Commission decided that the Microsoft had no ability to foreclose a rival. Not that they didn't have any ability to make something exclusive. So understand that when we talk about foreclosure, we're talking about something slightly different than exclusivity, but that they had no ability to actually harm competition. In light of the trade-offs, based on the losses from not distributing and higher profits obtained from increased sales of Xbox consoles, the commission concludes that the combined entity would not have the incentive to engage in an input foreclosure strategy. So they agree with that overall assessment that there wouldn't be that incentive to have a foreclosure strategy because it wouldn't succeed and because Microsoft told a good story about the percentages that an input foreclosure strategy would only be economically viable if ZeniMax games were able to attract a sufficiently high number of new players to the Xbox console ecosystem. And here's where we see the European Commission kind of get lost as well, because it's not consoles that are the sole driver of Xbox money. And if you want to accuse Microsoft of playing a little fast and loose with truthfulness here, I think that's the place that you directed if you're the Federal Trade Commission. They weren't being entirely clear about the value of just a recurring subscription amount that you don't have to ship consoles for, that you don't actually have to get all of that manufacturing done for. And instead, what we're looking at in this particular situation is a Microsoft that is maybe telling a little bit of a story to the European Commission in order to get this deal done. You could make that case. The FTC doesn't make that case. 
Instead, the FTC makes the case that they say no incentive and that they sell these things exclusive anyway, right? Which doesn't really fly. The commission goes further, says while exclusive games are relevant for stimulating demand, high switching rates are unlikely, depend on several additional factors. And they note that several respondents to the market investigation confirmed that between 20 and 40% of console owners use more than one console brand. So that multi-homing concept is not going to solve things as long as you keep Nintendo as a part of the video gaming industry, which is really not challenged in the entirety of this document. Most importantly, however, is that the European Commission in paragraph 125 decides the following. Even if the combined entity was to engage in a total or partial input foreclosure strategy, they were going to give it a run. They were going to make things exclusive. They were going to degrade content, whatever it is that they were going to do. The commission considers that such a strategy would not have a material impact on competition in the European economic area. Rival consoles would not be deprived of an essential input and could still rely on a large array of valuable video game content to attract players. So if you're going to distinguish this notion for Activision against ZeniMax, you basically have to find that some portion or one franchise within the Activision library is a quote-unquote essential input that you cannot survive in the video game industry without access to that input, which is, of course, Call of Duty here. For our conversations, though, it means that by the time the European Commission finishes up doing all this analysis, regardless of what Microsoft said, regardless of anything else that happens with all of this, the European Commission has decided, well, whatever they do with the ZeniMax assets, it can't kill competition. So they don't ask for anything. They can answer, we didn't ask for anything. Microsoft didn't do anything wrong. But when you look at what the FTC actually says about it, you can actually frame out that the FTC could say, well, they they promised that there was not an incentive and then they knew that there was. But oh, oh, how many ways there are to read that differently. And this is one of the reasons why the Federal Trade Commission is, as I've accused them of, playing games in these various paragraphs. If the Federal Trade Commission had something they could use from their own review of ZeniMax, presumably they would have. Instead, they go to the European Union to pull up a summary sentence based on a notification protocol and questions that they don't know at the Federal Trade Commission level, make this assurance, put the European Union in the spotlight, and the Federal Trade Commission realistically doesn't actually know that Microsoft ever said this in this fashion or that the European Commission cared about it when they said it. So the Federal Trade Commission is kind of inventing this scenario in which Microsoft is a nefarious actor when you could probably make that claim a little better by like eliminating Game Pass references and things like that and instead relying on this. And I think people took it too far because the Federal Trade Commission isn't lying. And as I said at the top of this video, I would never assume that a regulatory body filing a legal document is lying. Just that they maybe didn't do their homework, as is the case here. Right? They don't note that foreclosure actually means two things in this document, the strategy, and that it's distinct from exclusivity of video games. They don't note all of these various things, and they further don't note that the European Commission had already decided they didn't care, and they weren't going to ask for any kind of concessions. Now, that does mean the European Union, when they answer the question, isn't really answering the question that is being posed to them by places like MLEX or that they are being reported on, but... That's the problem with the story as quickly as developing as this one. I do want to give a shout out to Stephen Totillo, who actually went and contacted the European Union to say, hey, what's up with all this? He gets a rep that says the commission cleared the Microsoft ZeniMax transaction unconditionally as it concluded that the transaction would not raise competition concerns and further that Microsoft did not offer any commitments to the commission. So he went, he asked, he gets a very similar statement to MLEX, but he also makes analysis that you can check out in this thread that talks about that difference in the two statements, right? 
FTC says Microsoft assured there'd be no incentive. Then they took some games exclusive. That's a violation of trust, essentially, is what the FTC says. And we can ignore everything Microsoft says about Activision. The European Commission answers a different question and says, yeah, they didn't they didn't ask for any commitments. They didn't offer any commitments. Uh, and we just let the deal through. So they're not breaching anything when they find this particular situation happening. So this is going to be one of those situations that's in the eye of the beholder. I would expect Microsoft to bring this up in the answer document that they will have to file within two weeks that, of the complaint that was filed against them. So we'll be on top of that here in virtual legality in the Hoglaw YouTube channel, but it is very complicated. And I would caution anybody that goes onto social media, reads one of these articles and, and just takes whatever the headline is for fact, that there's gonna be a lot more of this as this deal goes on. And no, I don't think the FTC was lying, but they surely weren't playing with the full truth the time either. Thank you so much for checking out this virtual legality. If you do like this kind of content, the business and law of video game software and more, please check out Utreon and Patreon to support the channel as Falkus Vipus has done. Thank you so much, Falkus. And if none of that is attractive to you, just subscribing, telling your friends, ringing bells, leaving comments, and otherwise engaging with this content, every little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. 